Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Raiders Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. How's it going? Uh, Making a form again? New question. <laughs> um, John, it's your turn. I don't care how you're doing. Go ahead and tell <laughs> us what you picked. I picked a story called The Future is Blue by Catherine M. Valente. All right. And you have a section to read for us? Yes, I do. I walked cheerfully out of Candle Hole with my St. Oscar backpack strapped on tight and didn't look back once. Why should I? St. Oscar had my back. I'm not really that religious nowadays, but everyone's religious when they're 10. St. Oscar was a fuzzy green fuckwit man who lived in a garbage can just like me and frowned a lot just like me. He understood me and loved me and knew how to bring civilization out of trash. And I loved him back even though he was a fuckwit. Nobody chooses how they get born, not even Oscar. So I scrambled up over the wax ridges of my home and into the world with Oscar on my back. The matchbox forest rose up around me, towers of easy strike matchbooks and boxes from impossible magical places like Coronado Hotel, Becky's Diner, the Fox and Hound Pub. Garbage towners picked through heaps and cairns of blackened used matchsticks looking for the precious ones that still had their red and blue heads intact. But I knew all those pickers. They couldn't give me a name. I waved at the hotheads. I climbed up Flintwood Hill, my feet slipping and sliding on the mountain of spent butane lighters, until I could see out over all of Garbage Town, just as the broiling cough drop red sun was setting over far booze away, hitting the crystal bluffs of stockpiled whiskey and gin bottles, and exploding into a billion billion rubies tumbling down into the hungry sea. I sang a song from school to the sun and the matchsticks. It's an ask an answer song, so I had to sing both parts myself, which feels very odd when you have always had a twin to do the asking or the answering, but I didn't mind. Who liked it hot and hated snow? The fuckwits did. The fuckwits did. Who ate up everything that grows? The fuckwits did. The fuckwits did. Who drowned the world in oceans blue? The fuckwits did. The fuckwits did. Who took the land for me and you? The fuckwits did. We know it's true. Are you fuckwits, children dear? We're garbage towners, free and clear. But who made the garbage rich and rank? The fuckwits did, and we give thanks. The lawn stretched out below me, full of the grass clippings and autumn leaves and fallen branches and banana peels and weeds and gnawed bones and eggshells of the fertile fuckwit world, slowly turning into the gold of garbage town, soil, real earth, terra bloody firma. We can always grow rice in the dells, and here and there big blousy flowers bang up out of the rot. Hibiscus, African tulips, bitter gourds, a couple of purple lotuses floating in the damp mucky bits. I slept next to a blue and white orchid that looked like my brother's face. Orchid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I whispered to it. In real life, it didn't say anything back. It just fluttered a little in the moonlight and the sea wind. But when I got around to dreaming, I dreamed about the orchid, and it said, a farm. How did you come across this story? I realized I hadn't finished this other book of short stories, so I picked it up and I really like this one. So I was like, I'm bringing this one to the podcast. A book of short stories, not by her. Yeah, this is the best American, the best American science fiction and fantasy of 2017. Well, what do you like about it? Because I know what I like about it. And it's probably like one of the few things I feel capable of commenting on. <laughs> but but what, what did you like about it, John? Well, I like that it created a world, which I really like. You know, um, it is in the science fiction and fantasy 
fantasy anthology. So I enjoyed that about those genres. And I like, it was just funny, you know, calling uh, us fuckwits, you know, for creating and denying climate change. It was a good story. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's definitely one of those stories that kind of immediately doesn't explain to the reader what's going on, but through like these context clues, you immediately know that you're in a different world, probably a different time. You gather pretty quickly. It's the future because it's kind of like post-apocalyptic. Even if you don't directly know it's climate change related, you know it's like the fall of man because there's things like she has that anecdote toward the beginning, I think, where her she explains her name and her name is Tetley, which is like a word everyone's kind of familiar with because it's like a brand of tea. And it turns out she got that name because she literally saw like that piece of garbage and like someone gave her that name. Like her brother is like named after those instant noodles. <laughs> I love that her love interest is called Goodnight Moon. Yeah, the book. So good. <laughs> so part of that is not too far in the future. I don't think that we'll be naming kids after brands the way <laughs> names are right. going. But um, you understand pretty quickly that this is like they're living on heaps of trash. Um, in these little islands and they're floating in the ocean. The great Pacific gyre, the garbage patch. Right? Okay. It's something that exists now, but I think the author took some liberties with the, the way it was going to develop in the future. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. So the, I, I was pulled into it for all of those reasons, right? Because we talk a lot about like cli-fi, but cli-fi is cool because it feels immediate. It feels like current. It's probably feels a lot like what it felt like, you know, 70 years ago to read about like moon landing stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if we read that kind of stuff now, it'd be, it would feel almost past tense, you know, like the idea of flying cars and how we all thought we'd have them now. That's not exciting anymore. Now we know that the future is very much heaps of garbage. So this feels, relevant that way. Anyway, that's why you're pulled into it. But what I really liked about the story was just like the language and you Google this story and that's all the comments online are just talking about how Catherine Valente has a way with words. So she's saying things like the fuckwits which sure. Yeah. But like she knows how to be like kind of tongue in cheek and like she's dropping the F-bomb, right? But she's also like a master of language and that's pretty evident from that section that you wrote read aloud. However, you would describe like a heaping pile of trash in the ocean like she'll describe it 10 times better almost in a way that you have to read it like a couple times to understand exactly what you read you know that you read several sentences and like exactly what it's describing but it's like poetic that way in the sense that you aren't stopping to reread it in the moment you're going forward with the sentence because it's so expertly done that it just draws you along we've talked in the past in workshops about writers that want to write this way they want to be very clever they want to use kind of big words. They want to describe things in ways that they haven't been described before and will describe sometimes their language is poetic. But a lot of times the problem that we all have with it is that we find ourselves rereading it while we're trying to make sense of it. And Catherine is different, right? You might be too dumb to get it on the first read, but your brain knows that it's correct, if that makes sense. <laughs> your brain knows it's like above uh, criticism. I'm curious. I mean, she's a great writer. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, didn't, I didn't come away thinking like this was like a a stylist different from other writers we've read on the podcast you don't think she's like that great or something miraculous voice or anything i just mean it's good 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like when I was reading it, I was struggling to understand exactly what was happening in this world because we're not, it's not this story that's like a handholding story. She's not like, I live on a floating trash yeah. of garbage and these, this is what the fuckwits did. Like everything's alluding to something else. So the way it comes together plot wise is kind of happening throughout and almost like behind the scenes. But you're reading it, I think, because the voice is so strong. I don't know. I, I thought she was a great writer. No, I, I, I think she's a great writer. I'm just, I think maybe, maybe it's the definition of style. Like what makes good style? Like there's little thing, just glancing at the first paragraph. Right. She's talking about her twin and how much, like how connected they are. And she says, right. we couldn't stop loving each other anymore than the sea could stop being so greedy and give us back China or drive time radio or polar bears. The thing that I notice a lot in the story is like those, just those little like throwaway references. Yeah. You know, that kind of like uh drive time radio, polar bears. These are things that, if you were to give a list of all the things that will have been lost in the future, you wouldn't come up with those three things. Every writer would come up with something different and they might be equally cool, but those three things are just like, what a great trio. What a great, like kind of, it says so much, like give us back China, like an entire country region. Drive time radio is such a specific thing. And then polar bears, that is an obvious, I don't want to say obvious, not in a denigrating way, but it's an obvious kind of like feature of what we're going to lose through climate change. We've already talking about losing polar bears right i don't know those are the kinds of things that i i reacted to it wasn't the specific like turns of phrase or anything it was just sure. the choice of details that were thrown out probably adding to that whole aspect of the style is her naming conventions for all these people oh yeah that kind of stuff is great yeah too. so that kind of stuff like kind of adds to the style for sure i don't know now i feel like i'm trying to prove that like she's super stylistic but maybe it's just like the tone of this story like the tone is also like very kind of like cold feels like some of our other cli-fi stuff where it like hope is gone from this world <laughs> yeah a little bit and then until like the main character dashes it <laughs> yeah until like well and then she meets like goodnight moon and there's like a little spark there that's like kind of hopeful but like the hopelessness of like the entire world lends to this like almost matter of fact like removed sarcastic tone so like she's describing things that way almost it's almost satiric you know yeah a lot of climate future stuff is could easily lend to this satire especially this kind of name dropping stuff like brand dropping because it's kind of like just holding up a mirror like this is all the stuff you care about this is what's going to amount to so that easily lends to satire right so i i kind of read it more as a i don't disagree with the hopelessness thing there's definitely hopelessness there but i was like it was um a little bit playful yeah yeah the way it's being told maybe okay can i read this section yes i think this paragraph is a good example i was trying to look for a paragraph that kind of um shows what i'm talking about when i say like the language feels rich maybe it's less her command of the language and more what you initially pointed out which is like the specific details of things that she's like mentioning and i think this is like a world that's ripe for that opportunity when it's literally a pile of trash like if you think about what's in your own garbage can there's a lot of random shit yeah so it's not hard to make like a a list of things that feel disjointed but also like easily recognizable like you quickly picture them it's a jumbled mess anyway this is the very last paragraph before section four okay 
By the time I walked out of Teagate, I'd been gone eight days. I was getting pretty ripe. Bits and pieces of garbage town were stuck all over my clothes, but no tidying up. Them's the rules. I could see the blue crackle of Electric City sparkling up out of the richy, rich coffee bean burbs. Teetering towers of batteries rose up like desert hoodoo spires. Double A, triple A, 12 volt, double D, car, solar, lithium, anything you like. Parrots and pelicans screamed down the battery canyons, their talons kicking off sprays of triple A's that tumbled down the heights like rock slides. Sleepy banks of generators rumbled pleasantly along a river of wires and extension cords and HDMI cables, fields of delicate light bulbs, wind chimed in the breeze. Anything that had a working engine lived here. Anything that still had juice. If Garbage Town had a heart, it was Electric City. Electric City pumped power, power and privilege. In Electric City, the lights of the fuckwit world were still on. Oh yeah, I see what you mean there. Absolutely. So she's definitely like listing random things, but also you've never seen batteries described that way. You've never seen birds kick them off a cliff. So when I say that like you're reading it and you know it makes sense, your brain is also struggling to picture that because you haven't ever pictured that. And then you're talking about like uh, sleepy banks of generators rumbled pleasantly along a river of wires and extension cords and HDMI cables. So like what she's describing is just, you know, cords running wires running but it's like also the foundation of the earth there so that kind of stuff feels like perhaps it's something that we could all come to if this was our own world and premise right we might find ourselves describing the setting ad nauseum and realizing it's like rich with opportunity here but i think she's also like flexing when she says things like i was getting pretty ripe and them's the rules and yeah, that's, that's richie rich voice. coffee bean burbs yeah it's part of the voice but it's like that's Catherine's voice you know like she's she's coming up with that and that's what i mean when i think she's got i don't know i think she's pretty good i think one of the things you can point to is that <laughs> uh-huh. the line in the middle where it says parrots and pelicans scream down the battery canyon their talons kicking off sprays of triple a's that tumbled down the heights like rock slides you could easily rewrite that into a mundane setting where it's not batteries that are being kicked off yes these like mountains of batteries but some other thing and like those words like uh talons kicking off sprays of whatever is still very evocative yes and so that's that's the kind of like thing that helps you picture it and then you just insert batteries right yeah. and it's like okay now it's batteries that are being kicked around yeah that's what i mean when i say like i, I want to see her describe what you just pointed out like describe the real scene <laughs> that's right and it, it like still is stony i think it canyon. still is rich yeah yeah i mean to jump ahead of my takeaway she's got an advantage with the world like this that's covered in garbage for her to come up with scenes like that yeah. but um it's cool to spend that as much time as she probably had to for this premise like thinking about the setting and a unique way that you can describe like all of these things that are happening plus to like give your character like like an attitude because like, this character has an attitude and and in this case the attitude is directly tied to the premise of the story right like we talked about this being a hopeless place it's like it's usually unlikable if you just like give your character <laughs> a shit personality it's not just that it's hopeless it's that she killed all the hope that they had yes. like when they said we've we've seen dry land and everyone right. and the whole garbage patch is like yay and she's like no no i'm gonna blow up all your like literally set a bomb off to destroy the uh, plans you've made to go find that dry land because i know it doesn't really exist and now everyone hates me for that 
What a different kind of hopelessness. Yeah. Obviously, she's got an attitude, too, because she's like, you know, this whole story, like being shit on. My point is, like, she's allowed to have one. Yes. It's not as charming as a main character, like, who's just a jerk. I keep thinking about um the one, one of the first ones I shared. <laughs> Go ahead. The lie. Yeah. <laughs> Because that guy was just unlikable. He was just um, lying to lie. He was lazy. He didn't want to go to work. Didn't like his wife. Wasn't into the kid. Like, and just spun a problem for himself. He didn't necessarily have this like attitude throughout the story, but he was like kind of defending himself. And you weren't supposed to like it, okay? But you do like this girl. Yeah, she's pragmatic too because the reason she destroyed everyone's dreams was because she was like, you're going to waste all this energy, waste all this power trying to find right. this thing when we could use that for the next hundred years to like power our lives and right. live something passable here. Yeah, something decent. So what else did you like about this? <laughs> I feel like I, I said one thing I liked and then uh, you had to convince me I didn't like that exact part of it. <laughs> I think oh, what you liked what is this. No, I know. Anyway, what else did you like? Well, I really like the way the, the setting and the world were kind of built. This is one of those problems that you have, and especially in science fiction, fantasy, climate fiction, cli-fi, where you have to somehow, especially in a short story, a novel is totally another animal, but you have to immerse your reader into the world somehow, right. but still start with a story. Yeah. The ability to do that is is just remarkable. And, and she does it in a really cool way. So I like the way that she does that. And it's by borrowing and re- framing what was familiar to us if you take things like the tea that she's yeah. named after and you give her that name you're like what is going on there um and then eventually that story of how she got that name comes into play and it, it helps shape the world and just that that one sentence that um you know she's describing her twin and she's comparing the love that she has with her twin to like uh we couldn't stop loving each other any more than the sea could stop being so greedy and give us back china or drive time radio or polar bears at the same time that she's describing the love that they have for one another as being twins she's giving details about the setting right. in order to describe it i remember i forget which episode but a long time ago i talked about how you know i can't prove this but i feel like metaphors are stronger in a story if the elements that comprise the metaphor arise from the story itself yes we've talked about that in the workshop yeah we talked about it in the workshop i know i mentioned in an episode that i can't remember which one it was an yeah. early one with rob but this is definitely one of those metaphors that comes from the setting comes from yes. where they are and just i think doing things like that throughout just really quickly builds this the setting it makes it feel immensely rich right you know even though we're getting only nine thousand words about of this it's still a very rich setting right. that we know very well so my takeaway is something that I kind of hinted at a second ago here, but, and like I said, maybe this is only the kind of takeaway that you can hope to execute if you have a scene or a setting as ripe as this one, but she's having fun writing this. And I think that's really <laughs> yeah. evident. We've, we've talked about having fun before. We usually talk about it when it comes to like the absurd or plot. Like if your mind goes there and it's fun, then you can go there and the reader will like it. So paragraphs like the one I read with like the batteries, it's fun to list those things. It's fun to hear them listed. It's fun to see seagulls kicking them off a cliff. 
So maybe you aren't writing about an actual literal floating pile of garbage and you don't have like all these things to list. But if you can think of fun ways to construct your sentences, at least, like I think you could do this at the sentence level. doesn't have to be every sentence of your story, but I think that's one way to think about it where you can have just a couple paragraphs or a couple sentences throughout an entire piece where you think for a few seconds about what's a really fun way to hear this read aloud in your head or read aloud to you. doesn't have to be like fantastic. It doesn't have have to be absurd, but it can be a little more clever. It can be a list, like some of these things. And when I talk about poetry, I just talk about poetry in the sense of like enjoying those consonants and vowels and how they all come together. You know, like the actual sound of the sentence is fun. Like I, when I read this, it has for me, like the language is like rattling around in my brain, the way the trash is, you know, it's like some of it's like sharp and some of it's hard and some of it's like loud and some of it's like rotting bananas. It's all just this hodgepodge of um, textures to these sentences almost. Whereas there's other stories we've read in the past that are poetic because you feel like you could fall asleep if it's read aloud to you. You know, it's beautiful and there's commas and pauses and rhythms to it. Yeah, that's the perfect, the rhythm. You can have a frenetic rhythm that yeah. is like sweep, uh, not even sweeping, but just like jangling. Yeah. That, that gives you an emotion. And if it complements the content, if it's yes, like also yes. part of what's being going on that that's perfect but you can also just have that kind of slow moving yeah you know short sentences sweeping sentences like a Faulkner style southern speech and Hemingway kind of yeah that uh PBS, that Ken Burns documentary where they had um oh, I forget who it was that was reading the Hemingway passages some famous actor and the way he read it that slow kind of cadence you're like okay this is this how Hemingway's supposed to be read it's like this like yeah punctuated just boom 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 But yeah, there's myriad different rhythms you can achieve with uh, sentences and prose. Yeah, I don't know. We don't talk about that a ton. I think it's because a lot of it bleeds into poetry territory, which... I know nothing about, but I know good poetry when I read it, you know, and I've occasionally written something where I'm like, this feels like poetry for some undefinable reason. (laughs) And maybe it's the rhythm, you know, my favorite book about the writing process is John Gardner's on becoming a novelist. Never heard of a whole. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure (laughs) I only mentioned it once or twice. I probably missed it. He has a whole section where he's talking about rhythm, sentence rhythm, and, and he describes, he like goes through and just marks up the uh, the opening lines of Moby Dick to show like how it is evocative of the sea in the way it, I think he uses a phrase like gathers and rolls or something like that. Yeah. Talking about wave action. It's good shit. It's out there. That conversation's yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to hear it from me uh, having an epiphany in real time on the air. Uh, there are, believe it or not, experts that <laughs> know a little bit more about this. John, what is your takeaway? Uh, My takeaway is that thing I mentioned before, just thinking about introducing, like throwing a reader into the deep end of a setting and how to achieve that. You don't want it to be too confusing. You want it to be done quickly, efficiently. And uh, I think I could spend, you know, a week with this story kind of like mapping out exactly how each element's introduced. Right. And then, you know, it would be a six hour podcast. But if we were to do that, you know, you could learn a million things from this, how to do that well. So I'm not going to do that, but... (laughs) that's my takeaway someone should (laughs) yeah absolutely all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider joining our patreon your support helps us keep the show running find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast 
and for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.